0: What's going on, guys? It's JP from the Double Double, and I'm here with my co-host, Ben. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back. And after a long absence, we're here to do our Eastern Conference breakdown for the 2023 season. And we just want to do a quick explanation for our absence. I can start. Personally, for me, I was worn out by the NBA uh, this summer. Uh, We had a great finals with Jokic ending with the crown on his head as the best player in the league. And then very quickly after, instead of celebrating the Nuggets, we had James Harden and Damian Lillard news that just wore me out completely. I love this sport more than any other sport, but the amount of coverage that those two topics got instead of celebrating the Nuggets. And then when Anthony Edwards is in FIBA destroying, you know, world basketball, and instead of praising him, we're talking about how he should demand a trade to a different market even though he just signed a five-year, $250 million contract, I needed to completely remove myself from the NBA for about three or four months. And I've done that, and now I'm more excited than ever to have it back. But I'm glad I took the break. So apologies to our listeners. Ben, I don't know if you have a different reason than I do.
1: I mean, you kind of nailed it there. We had a very long NBA offseason. This one felt longer than a lot of the years prior. And on top of that, just me and you have had internet problems that have made putting an episode together pretty impossible and pretty frustrating. And now all that's behind us. Now we have an awesome NBA season ahead, and I am very excited to be back.
0: Yes, exactly. So we'll be uploading content more regularly now. Obviously, our TikTok has been dormant as well, but... Make sure to keep an eye out for that. I'm going to be trying to do some lives, and I'm sure we'll try to scrounge up some TikToks at some point. So, all right. Let's hop into the Eastern Conference breakdown. We do this every year. We've done it since we started the podcast. This is one of our favorite episodes of the year to do because we can hit on every single team. We're going to start with the number one seed. Obviously, we've missed some trade talk with our audience, but the Milwaukee Bucks coming at number one in the East.
1: Yeah, everybody knows about the Dame Lillard trade. Probably at this point, most people have seen it in action. We've seen a little bit of the Dame Giannis pick and roll in preseason. And what we've seen is just everybody who is not Dame and Giannis is wide open. Every time that play is run, you're generating at least two wide open shots. They're going to be one of the most fun duos out there, man. We talk about great duos year after year. And when you look at stuff like the Jays, when you look at, you know, Booker and KD, There's a lot of overlapping skill set there. Kawhi and Paul George that kind of makes people a little less interested in those duos. Dame and Giannis is the perfect pairing of skill and talent that, you know, how can they not have a top five offense and an unbelievable defense? The fact that they were able to get Dame giving up as little as they gave up. I'm so excited to watch them.
0: Yeah, this team's going to be pretty cool and i think dame and giannis has a chance to be one of the coolest nba pairings in nba history uh, i just think their skill sets are so different but so complementary you know if they win a title at some point that's going to be a really really cool result but um yeah just they've added some you know marginal pieces as well uh, obviously me and you are draft guys they added andre jackson who we both liked as like a kind of toolsy guard who could play defense, pass, rebound, um, kind of like a Walmart Lonzo Ball. And then they also added, well, they didn't add Jay Crowder, but this year he's going to be used more. Uh, Mike Budenholzer did not use Jay Crowder at all, and I think he's probably going to be more prevalent this year. So, yeah, the Bucks are going to be very, very scary uh, this year.
1: Yeah, Jay Crowder was essentially just ignored in the playoffs, not played very much at all. And now with Adrian Griffin as a first-year head coach, that's going to be a really interesting part of this puzzle. The fact that instead of having Budenholzer, who has been an NBA coach for years and years, you've got a brand new head coach trying to put Damian Giannis together. Do you think there's any worry that the start of the season will be a bit slow as they try to put that chemistry together?
0: I think it's fair to ex- like expect a little bit of a slow start, for sure. Um, just because it's so different from what both players have had available to them their entire careers, Giannis has never had a shot creator of Damian Lillard's level, and Dame has never had a superstar next to him like Giannis. So, you know, talent always wins in this league, um, but fit is something they do want to figure out, and you know, they're tr- they're playing Dame a little bit in the preseason to try to get that ironed out a little bit, but I-, I wouldn't be shocked to see maybe a slower start than people expect.
1: The one thing I'll say is that Giannis seems very okay accepting that Dane Lowe going to have the ball in his hands a lot. That's how we make the most of his skills. I'm more than okay with that. Let our point guard do whatever he's going to do. It just seems like both of them are willing to sacrifice to make the other better. Um, I think this is a 60 win team. I don't know about you. I think this is going to be a dominant force by the time the playoffs start to roll around.
0: Completely agree. The only thing in their way is health. They are an older team. Um, That's the only concern I have with them. But yeah, they're going to be an absolute force to be reckoned with.
1: Yeah, Brooke Lopez is an old guy. We saw what happened (laughs) when he missed a lot of time. The defense struggles. The defense definitely suffers. Let's move on to team number two, another team I am so excited about, probably more excited to talk about the Celtics than I've been in years. Um, we've got a new look squad here. Christoph Porzingis is on the team. Drew Holiday is on the team. These are pieces that fit the Celtics beautifully. And I think this is another team, I don't know if they're hitting 60 wins, but I know they're hitting at least 55. They're coming close.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of our longtime listeners know my complicated relationship with the Celtics. I'm very excited to watch this team. I, for years, they've bothered me, annoyed me. Um, I've seen in and out you know, effort this year. I'm, it's all positive from my end. I love Derek White. I think he's the best role player in the entire league. I said it all last year. I continue thinking that. They traded for Drew Holiday, who's been the best defensive guard in the league for the past decade. Jason Tatum entering age 26 season. This is usually when we start to see guys take a mega leap into where their basketball, IQ, their athleticism, everything comes together at the same time. This is usually when players really kind of staple themselves. Jalen Brown just gets signed a new contract. And not to mention, you guys signed or traded for Tingus Pingus, who I think is like the coolest fit next to these guys possible, just in terms from a basketball standpoint, having a seven foot three guy from 35 feet banging threes. It's just. You don't really see that level of spacing at the five. And he's kind of the only guy in the league that can do it from as far out as he does it. Um, I just think it's going to be a masterpiece of basketball. And we didn't even mention guys like Hauser and Horford who are still on the team. So I I think the Celtics are going to be incredible.
1: I think this is going to be another year of Missoula ball bombing the absolute hell out of those threes. And we saw last year Al Horford had, what, the best three-point percentage in the NBA? And yep. you're adding another sharpshooting big onto the team. And not just a sharpshooter. Christops is so effective in the paint. As a guy who can pass, as a guy who can score over people, as a guy who can hit little mid-range shots, the pick and pop is there. There's so much experimenting, so much variety that we're able to do with this team. And just adding Drew Holiday, as much as people love Marcus Smart, And I am sad to see Marcus Smart go. I loved him as a player, loved him as a Celtic. Drew Holiday is Marcus Smart without the hero ball plays. You're getting one of the best perimeter defenders in basketball, but a guy who doesn't think he needs to take the last four shots in the last two minutes of the game.
0: Yeah, and, you know, passing isn't a learned skill for Drew Holiday. Marcus Smart had to learn that skill, and his natural instinct of wanting to chuck the ball would still shine through sometimes. Celtics fans are not going to have to worry about that with Drew Holiday and I think he knows he's a fifth option offensively when it comes to that starting lineup like poor Zingas Derek White Tatum and Brown all get shots before that dude and I think you know I've given Drew Holiday a lot of shit over the last few years of really sucking offensively in the postseason if you're the fifth option. Honestly, your contributions aren't as important. And if he has a bad offensive game, but plays outstanding perimeter defense, it'll be worth it for the Celtics to have him on the court. So I, I think they've just had a home run offseason. Me personally, I've never enjoyed Marcus Smart. I, I've always been confused by Boston's attachment to him. So I'm actually very happy to see him go. It makes me like the team more already. I just think they're going to be a juggernaut. I think they're going to be fun to watch. Um, I'm super excited to watch them.
1: I don't think you see players that embrace cities as strongly as Marcus Smart embraced Boston very often. So in terms of the headaches that come from watching Marcus Smart basketball, I can't really disagree with you on that. But there aren't many basketball players who end up in a city and say, this is my favorite place. I love all of you. I want to win. Like, nothing makes me happier than winning in front of you guys. Um that's the sort of thing you want to root for, man. And it's the sort of thing that makes me kind of like, you know, put the horse blinders on whenever he starts chucking up shots with a minute left. Um, Drew Holiday's just not going to do that, man. As a playoff player, he's going to be a guy who passes and who hits open threes. We're not asking yeah. him to take a lot of shots. We don't want him to take a lot of shots. He's out there to play excellent defense and get the other guys involved. He knows that and he can do it really, really well.
0: Yeah. And just before we move on from the Celtics, I just want to note, Jason Tatum has been super vocal this offseason about how much the city of Boston means to him and how he basically wants to retire here. And he's had the most fun he's ever had playing basketball these last few years, just because of the connection he feels with the city. If you're a Celtics fan, that is music to your ears. And this is potentially a Steph Curry, Dirk Nowitzki, you know, Kobe Bryant level. Hey, this guy's going to be a first team all NBA guy who doesn't want to leave our city. Um, So, yeah, absolutely stoked for Celtics fans that they have a guy who loves the city as much as Tatum does. Let's move on to the Cleveland Cavaliers. That is my team, so I'll go first. This year is going to be a big prove-it year for this team. Um, I can only make so many excuses for Evan Mobley, right? I told you guys after last year's playoff exit, I'm not going to come on this podcast and tell you how good he is, and I'm not. I'm just not going to do it anymore. I still love him. I still see the truth, but I'm not going to try to convince others if they don't want to be convinced. Totally get it. Now, their free agent signings of Max Strus and George Niang have already showed dividends. In preseason, last year, during the regular season, they only averaged 31 threes a game. So far, through two preseason games, they're shooting 44.5 threes per game. If that is not a direct impact of those two players i don't know what is these guys are going to chuck we've seen evan mobley get easier shots darius garland and donovan mitchell are hyper efficient shooters of the basketball i think this team is just going to be a well-oiled machine of open shots and moving the ball because there's not a single player on the roster that isn't capable of making a right pass um I'm super, super excited to watch this team. I think the ball's going to fizz around, and I think threes are going to be raining down.
1: We're going to watch basically just the better version of last year's offense, and last year's offense was already top 10. This time, instead of having Mobley kick out to a wide-open Isaac Okoro, you will maybe have Mobley who can score because the guy who's on the perimeter is being covered because he can hit a three-point shot. Maybe that'll let Mobley take another mid-range shot, get into the paint. We're going to see guys start to explore a little more and do a little more because of the offense, not being so hamstring. You've got shooters, you've got, you know, guys who can run off of threes, not just catch and shoot, put me in a corner and just pray. I hit a shot. Um, They were already what the number one defense last year and a top 10 offense. There's no way this team's not getting home court advantage. I think Cleveland's a team that's just been underrated since this whole young squad has been put together, nobody's really get paid him enough attention. This is one of the years where it's got to change.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you, especially as a fan. I think, you know, for years, Drew Holiday had the most underrated player in the league title. I, I think it belongs to Darius Garland now. Um, I think people know him for his dribbles, and they don't realize how much he impacts a game on a night-to-night basis. And now we're going to talk about, you know, Evan Mobley being able to kick out passes. And this is the advantage of signing those two two shooters as well in free agency. There should never be a lineup again that has three non-shooters on the court. We saw in the playoffs, Isaac Okoro, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen on the floor at the same time. It's just an impossible way to win basketball games in 2023, having three people that shoot 30% or lower on threes, basically, right? It's just it's just not going to work. Now, we never have to see that problem ever again. George Niang can play the four. He shoots 40%. Max Drews, he can play the three or the four in super small ball lineups. He shoots high 30s with very difficult shots. So I'm just super excited to watch this team, but it is a prove-it year for them. I'm not writing any checks that they can't cash. My expectations for them as a team, win a first-round playoff series, and I'll be happy. Um, but, yeah, this is this should be a fun season for them.
1: I think the biggest expectation you have to set on the Cavs for the playoffs, outside of just winning a series, play hard, play well, play like you're in a playoff series. Um, because what we saw from them last year was really upsetting. And we cannot have another year where Jared Allen gets out rebounded by a shooting guard. Can't happen. Um, I, you know, we've got, you've got questions about having three non-spacers on the floor. I've still got questions about having two non-spacers on the floor in every minute that matters. Um, so we'll have to see. I think this is a prove it year for Mobley. Um, I think this is a prove it year for Jared Allen when it comes to the playoffs. But You're right when you brought up Darius Garland being underrated. This man deserves to be an all-star. He is so fun to watch. The way he hits threes, the way he moves around the court. Um, It's just going to be a thing where the Cavs are going to be a home court advantage team this year, and people are finally going to recognize, like, holy shit, they got a lot of really talented young guys.
0: Yeah, I I cannot wait. I'm really excited. Hopefully, Evan Mobley takes a leap scoring, and... Jared Allen doesn't get dumpstered by Mitchell Robinson in the playoffs. That's yeah. my, that's my prayer. Uh, let's move on to Philadelphia. Obviously we mentioned it briefly in the, you know, little segment we did about why we took some time off. James Harden requested a trade, did a whole charade party about how Daryl Morris sucks, whatever. I don't, I don't care to talk about it. All we know is James Harden is playing for Philadelphia. That's what we know. He's publicly stated. He will be playing games for Philly. So we know they have James Harden, Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey still, that's why we have them at four, because if you have an MVP-level talent with an all-star-level talent and a very, very good role player in Tyrese Maxey, that's going to be a home court advantage team.
1: Yeah, it probably should be. I think me and you differ a little bit on the results of Philly uh, this year. I think they're very close to total implosion. I think if they start the season poorly, if they get a couple of really unlucky losses, Philly fans are going to let them hear it. James Harden already does not want to be here. I think it's a very easy recipe for shit to fall apart really, really quickly. Um, And I don't know what's going to happen when that does, but if they start off hot, they're still a really talented team. They still have an MVP on their team. They've still got James Harden who hovered around top 20 last year. Um, there's enough talent to go get you wins. What does it mean in the playoffs? For me, absolutely nothing. We know what Joel Embiid is in the playoffs. We know what James Harden is when the playoffs start. This isn't a team I care about once the regular season ends, but they're going to be a good regular season team.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And just going down the roster, they've made a few additions, like Patrick Beverly, Kelly Oubre, um, you know, Mo Bamba. Those aren't guys you're like super excited about. You're just not. Kelly Oubre is a talented guy, but we know what mindset he has. It's just to get buckets and do nothing else. Mm -hmm. Um, Pat Bev, at this stage of his career, he's still a pesky on-ball defender, but that's about all you can say. He's going to give you three points a night. Um, So these are guys that probably help on the fringes, but it's not drastic improvement. Um, And you're right. This team, to me, is kind of the new Utah Jazz of the West, where – We know they're going to perform in the regular season, but we don't care at all. We need to see some form of life in the postseason. Um, You know, they beat a diminished Nets team 4-0 with Joel Embiid playing horribly. And then, you know, we had the horrific Joel Embiid series against the Celtics. And James Harden had a few horrific games, had a few great ones, but had a few horrific ones as well. Um, so they flamed out. So this is one of those teams where, you know, the regular season basically means nothing and there's no upside to their regular season. It feels like like you said, there's more of a chance that they implode and blow up than there is that the chemistry comes together and they're going to be roaring towards the playoffs with good high hopes. I just don't see that happening.
1: The one thing you can look at as a, you know, maybe this is the thing that sets this team in the right path. Doc Rivers is no longer in Philadelphia. Nick Nurse is the coach. We had a very high, we had a lot of good things to say about Nick Nurse when he won the chip in Toronto. And I think the high praise of him has just kind of diminished over time as we've watched his teams not be very good. But Absolutely. here's a chance. Here's a real chance. You've got superstars in front of you. you got a superstar in front of you. And you've got a team that can really do something. That's when we've seen the best version of Nick Nurse's teams, when there's actually a chance that they could go out and win something. So maybe he's the coach that makes all the difference. I don't personally think so, but I think he'll be a big upgrade over Doc Rivers.
0: Yeah, and I I think we said this when the coaching change was made. I don't know who the fuck would want to take this job. (laughs) I think both of us were super surprised that Nick Nurse was the guy who took this job as a guy who's an established head coach who had won a championship. And he's walking into that situation. I think both of us were surprised by that. But you never know. Nick Nurse, I still do have respect for him, even though the Raptors had kind of fallen off the last few years so we'll see if he's the uh, fix-all solution they're looking for
1: we'll see team number five we've got the New York Knicks now I think the Knicks and the Hawks are going to be the two teams battling for this spot but the Knicks have gotten better and I think that's one thing we got to recognize they've got guys on their team who can take minutes away from RJ Barrett and that is it that's what they've needed Um, I will take any opportunity possible to bash on R.J. Barrett. I think he's bad for their team. But just looking at the accumulation of talent that they've gotten, it's going to be another really strong regular season team where all of these guys bust their ass for 40 minutes a day. That's what Tom Thibodeau expects. That's what these guys have proven that they can do. Um, It's going to be another exciting team. I just... I enjoy watching this team. I don't enjoy watching RJ Barrett, but watching everybody else on this team just bust their ass 24-7, it's hard not to root for.
0: Yeah, I'm in complete agreement. I mean, we saw when the trade deadline happened and they acquired Josh Hart, they completely changed as a unit. They started rattling off games. I think they went on a 10-game winning streak at some point last season after that trade was made. And they re-signed Josh Hart. They got Dante DiVincenzo, who's a good perimeter defender. They kept Emmanuel quickly. I think a lot of people are really excited about Quentin Grimes this year as a three-point shooter and a perimeter defender. And then you still have Mitchell Robinson, who's a very respectable center, who had the series of his life against my Cavs. And Isaiah Hartenstein, who's a good quality backup five. And, you know, I'm not the biggest RJ fan as well, but he's still a talented player and he's still on the roster. So you can go down this roster and say they're durable and they're good. They're they don't have any guys who are absolutely gonna blow you away, but Jalen Brunson, Quentin Grimes, Josh Hart, Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson, that's a good five. And then to go Emmanuel quickly, R.J. Barrett, Hartenstein, like that. This team's like nine deep. And I think when it comes to the regular season, they're they're always gonna try harder than the other team because of who that head coach is. So I I think it leads them to have the uh, the fifth seed. I totally agree.
1: They've got a guy in Evan Fournier that they're paying nineteen million dollars to not play. That's kind of how much they've been able to get production out of everybody else on the team. That you're able to pay a guy nineteen mil to just sit there and complain. Um, I I really, really love watching Josh Hart, man. I think he's one of my favorite NBA players. This is just a guy who outworks everybody, who knows how to get every rebound out there. He hits his open shots, he plays hard. Um Isaiah Hartenschein and Mitchell Robinson, great big pairing. This is just a fun team, man. I don't see anybody on this team who, you know, we talked about Jalen Brunson and how good he is. And for a stretch there, he was, what, a top two, top three point guard in the NBA? Um, They don't have superstar caliber players, but they've got two stars and a coach that knows how to build around them, a coach that knows how to get their role players to do their jobs and let the stars shine.
0: Which is super important. And they're just gonna be a well-oiled machine. Now what the one thing I have concern with them about is last year they were a shockingly great offensive team. Um, when you think of guys like Julius Randle, Josh Hart, Jalen Brunson, Quentin Grimes, and Mitchell Robinson, you don't necessarily think offensive punch um I'm just curious if it will sustain itself. I'm not sure. I don't really have any reason to not believe it can continue being good. I'm just curious if that was like a blip on the radar or if that's actually who this team is. I think
1: it's Jalen Brunson. Yeah. I really think it comes down to him almost entirely because you saw at any fourth quarter where he's got the ball in his hands, there's not a single bit of worry that he's going to make the wrong decision. Doesn't matter if he's trying trying to score, trying to pass. He's always making the right moves. He's always under control. I think this is just a team that, you know, they know who to give the ball to when it's crunch time. Um, I definitely have high hopes for them. I have high hopes for the Atlanta Hawks too. And we'll talk about them now. I think this is going to be a year where Trey Young comes out really, really hot, man. He has been putting up his numbers and not getting any buzz for it for a couple years now. And now he's got a more respected head coach. We saw what he was able to do in a couple of games against the Celtics. I'm I'm really hopeful, man.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I I think I had a conversation with you a few months ago about Trey Young. Just you know, he is widely hated in the basketball community for his play style, right? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people hate how he doesn't play defense. People think he's too small, he maybe a little too ball dominant. I tend to agree with most of these sentiments. But I'm comfortable saying he's one of the most dominant pick and roll playmakers in the entire league, if not the best, the very best. Um, What he he did against the Celtics was phenomenal, kind of jaw-dropping, actually. Um, You know, this is a team, the Celtics, who everyone viewed as a juggernaut. Everyone thought the Atlanta Hawks were going to be swept. After two games of Trey Young looking like ass, he completely flipped the script And forced the Celtics to work their tail off. And that that was basically a one man show because DeJounte Murray didn't show up the way he was supposed to. I'm a big Kobe Bufkin fan. I know rookies don't have a lot of impact on, you know, playoff success, but I'm a Bufkin fan. I think that will provide a nice option for, you know, Trey Young and DeJounte Murray when they need some rest. Uh, put Kobe Bufkin out there, or as a complementary piece next to those guys. He can play off ball or on ball, and it might help force Trey Young off the ball a little bit more. And A.J. Griffin, I think he had a very underrated rookie year. I think he's a sharpshooter for them, and one of the issues with the Hawks that I kept talking about last year was they weren't taking threes, and when they did, it was at a bad percentage. I, I just think that improves a little bit this year with a healthy Bogdan Bogdanovich, DeAndre Hunter hopefully being healthy and AJ Griffin being a sniper.
1: I think we could see a version of this team that plays kind of similar to how Budenholzer and Doc Rivers coach where they put out 10 12 man lineups because you look at this Atlanta Hawks team and the guard rotation feels like they don't have enough minutes to go around for all of the talented guards that they've acquired. Um, I I don't know how it's all going to work. I think the end of this team, the end of this season, we're going to move some of these guys. Because just when it comes to, you know, A.J. Griffin, Kobe Bufkin, who they just picked up, Bogdanovich, DeJounte Murray, Patty Mills, Trey Young, that's too many guards. And they all deserve minutes. And I don't know who's getting them. Um, But I think that fight for minutes is definitely going to make them better. Um, And I think, you know, we've still got pretty good wings. We've still got Clint Capella and Onyeka Okongwu, who work really well as lob targets for Trey. Trey Young, you're right, man. Just... You know, he's at the worst, a top three pick and roll ball handler in the NBA. It's him, it's Luka, it's, you know, Jokic, it's, I don't even know who, he's in a, he's in a list all by himself. What he was able to do against the Celtics, three 30-point games in a row, everybody was keyed in on him and him only. There's really nothing you can do to stop him.
0: Yeah, when he gets rolling like that, where he has you in a bind, where when you don't know whether to play the pass or the shot he can completely manipulate a defense and just keep you guessing the entire game. And then we see performances like he had against the Celtics where he ends up with 30 and 10, 30 and 10, 30 and 10. Um, you know, he can, he can rattle off some pretty special performances. So they're a team we're both definitely pretty bullish on. Let's move on to the Miami heat for next season who made it to the NBA finals. We have them here um, at seven. Uh, some people might be a little upset at that. I think me and you will forever fade the the Miami Heat. They're old. They're injury prone. They somehow always manage to figure it out, but they figure it out in the postseason. Very rarely are they a dominant regular season team. Um, they'll have Kyle Lowry. They'll have Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson. They're gonna have Jimmy Butler. I like their rookie Jaime Jaquez. They're gonna have Bam Adebayo still. They there's some guys there. But I just think the teams we mentioned above them are better.
1: Yeah, they got Josh Richardson. He's a good role player. Howard Hero's gonna be healthy. Um I, I you're right. I will fade the Miami Heat every single year. I am giddy that Dame Lillard is not on this team. I am so happy about that, man. This offseason, you're right, you said it at the beginning of the pod. This offseason, frankly, was ruined by all of the whining surrounding where Dame and James Harden want to go. And the fact that neither of them have gotten what they wanted a little bit makes me happy a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think the Miami heat got worse from last year and they surprised everybody last year by making it as far as they did. Jimmy Butler and Bam out bio is a duo that we kind of have to start giving more respect to. I think they do a lot that doesn't show up on the stat sheet. Jimmy Butler will average 23 points for a regular season, but he's still very clearly that dude. Bam out of bio talked about it the other day about how, defensive awards and defensive recognition comes down to the numbers that you put up more so than your actual impact. Because if you yeah. watch Bam, he doesn't need to block a shot to be one of the best defenders out there, and one of the only guys in the league who can actually guard one through five.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. Bam hangs out on the perimeter basically better than any, than any big man. He He is uniquely special out there on the perimeter, and then he can also block and protect the rim. Uh, so, yeah, I completely agree with him. He is a top five defender in the league in my eyes. Um, but we have seen Jimmy really miss like 20 games or more for a couple seasons in a row here. Uh, Kyle Lowry's not getting any younger. You know, how much are these young guys or undrafted free agents they so often hit on going to be able to contribute to regular season wins? Right. That's kind of my concern. Um, like I said, they always figure it out in the playoffs. They, they're a team you just don't want to face in the first round. But as far as I'm concerned, there isn't enough top-end talent to beat the teams above them. That's what I'm concerned about with this team.
1: And you're entirely correct. There just isn't. Um, just for a little bit of trivia, if you guys want to know, because you're going to watch the Miami Heat and go, who the hell is this guy? Um, you, it happens every single year. Haywood Highsmith, Drew Smith, Cole Swider one of these guys is going to become a really great NBA player. We don't know who it is yet, but it's just always happens in Miami. Um, they always squeeze the most talent out of everybody on their team, man, which is why it's like disrespectful to put them at the seven seed. But with the way the six teams above them have improved, it's hard not to.
0: 100%. Let's move on to Indiana, which, you know, this is a pretty big leap for them. I'm excited to talk about this team. Um, I've texted Ben my effusive praise for Tyrese Halliburton over the last few months. I'm not a super fan. There are a lot of nerd super fans out there of Tyrese Halliburton. I get it. I am just of the mindset that he very rarely makes mistakes. And I only think there are three players like this in the league where on offense, you're okay with every decision they make. It's Jokic, Curry, and for me, Halliburton, right? Like, even Kevin Durant, he gets the ball stripped from him too much. LeBron James, you'll see him kind of just chill on offense sometimes and hang in a corner or chuck threes that he shouldn't be chucking. Like, you can go down the list with some of the best offensive players to ever play and kind of find something that they do that frustrates you. With Tyrese Halliburton, every single decision he makes, I'm totally cool with it. And I just think when you have a uniquely special offensive unit or engine like him, Everyone is going to rise above their capabilities uh, of, what's that saying? A rising tide floats all boats. That's how I view Tyrese Halliburton.
1: I don't blame you at all. man. He is just one of those guys that makes people better. Is he this generation's Chris Paul? He's pretty close to it. Chris Paul's going to be a Hall of Famer. Halliburton's probably not reaching that milestone. But in terms of just a guy who doesn't make mistakes, who knows how to involve teammates, and also scores efficiently from anywhere and also is not a a pushover as a defender. Tyrese Halliburton can defend. He can get in those passing lanes. He just does a little bit of everything right. And this seems like a team that wants to win this year. Paying Bruce Brown $25 million tells me I want to win. I want to pick up a guy who knows what the hell he's doing as a role player, who knows how to boost guys up. I want to win now. Um, And I think they're geared up for it, man. I think this is going to be a fun, fun young team. Really similar to what we saw last year, where it's just movement on offense. Everybody's moving as fast as possible. And Tyrese Halliburton is just the guy who can zip a ball anywhere.
0: Yeah, and I think the draft pick of Jairus Walker also goes to that sentiment of, hey, we're ready to win right now. Mm-hmm. There were other options at that spot where they could have taken a long-term project pick. No, they went for the ready-made guy where you kind of know what he is already and what his capabilities are for this season as a defender and as a second secondary or third playmaker um they they went for that instead of the potential you know superstar pick uh and I agreed with the pick and I love the pick for them and I think it's going to make them a much better defensive team so I yeah I think Indiana should not be trifled with coming up this year. Jarris
1: Walker is an animal. He is about to be an awesome defender. I think he's the kind of guy who will get low key all defense buzz. Not that he'd ever be winning the award as a rookie or be on the team as a rookie, but people are going to notice immediately the kind of defensive impact that Jairus Walker brings to the,
0: to the game. All right, let's move on to Orlando, who's a team I'm pretty high on. I hated their off season. I still do. It has not changed. Um, They drafted Anthony Black, a point guard who's good at defense and can't shoot, which is kind of their exact player archetype that they go for every year, the point guard who can't shoot but plays defense. And their one addition in free agency was 38-year-old Joe Ingles. So I'm a little frustrated by them, but it's not going to take away that I think Paolo is an all-NBA level talent. I think Franz is an all-star level talent. And I think Markel Fultz is really freaking good at basketball. Um... I think Markel Fultz is so good. I think Anthony Black probably spends most of the year on the bench. I think Jalen Suggs and Anthony Black are going to be fighting for bench minutes because Jalen Suggs has actually looked pretty good in the preseason um, and he was a top five pick. So it's not like Anthony Black has the prestige over him in terms of pick. He's just the more recent one. But Yeah, we have this team here basically because Paulo and Franz and how much we respect them and Wendell Carter Jr. too as as a big man. But yeah, I'm a little disappointed with them because I think they could have been higher on this list. But I think this is still a good spot for your best player being a second year guy.
1: I wanted to put the Orlando Magic at eight. And I think if I was making my own list without you, I would put the Orlando Magic at eight. They were a 50% or a 500 win team in the last half of last year. And they basically just got a little older and a little bit better. Um, So you take a team that was already fighting for a play-in and you make them slightly better. And that's a team that's probably going to be making the play-in. I think they're an awesome team. I think Anthony Black is an awesome, awesome player. And I think you're going to hate this, but Jet Howard is going to be an NBA player. I'm not calling him, you know, I'm not going to say any great things about him. But he's brought onto this team to shoot. He can shoot four threes a game at like 36,
0: 37%. I do hate that. I hate that a lot. I, know. I hate I hate how they handled this offseason. I really do. Um, I agree. I think Anthony Black's a great player. I just think you could not have chosen a worse fit for him. Uh, this team got slightly better in your eyes. I, I don't really know how. I, I think they're relying on younger guys for more important minutes with skill sets that they need that they don't have. Um, I, I kind of made a little joke, like the point guard who plays defense, but can't shoot. They did it again. They did it again. They do it every year. If they're drafting a guard, just know he can't shoot and he's gritty on defense. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know.
1: This one's different, man. Anthony Black's just different.
0: Is he going to learn how to <laughs> shoot?
1: <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, I think he'll be great, great, great at setting up catch and shoot opportunities for Franz. And most likely Jet Howard. We don't know what Jet Howard is as a basketball player. But I know yeah. Anthony Black is going to be legit. I think there's a chance he fights for a starter spot. Um, I don't know how long it's going to take. But I just think he's one of those guys who doesn't make mistakes on either side of the ball. And he's a hound defensively. The Thompson Twins are going to be beasts defensively. And I think they're the only rookies when it comes to you know guards and wings that are going to check Anthony Black.
0: You know, it's funny. I'm looking at some of the Orlando Magic team stats here, and they were third worst in the league when it came to assist to turnover ratio. Instantly, Anthony Black being the rotation, Jalen Subs being healthier will help that because it's less Cole Anthony and less like Caleb Houston and RJ Hampton, less of those guys. Um, so that's better. Protecting the ball is always going to be helpful. But again, my eyes just go right to the three-point shots. Anthony Black and Paolo... Both on the floor. I love Paolo. I think he's an All NBA guy. I'm just not sure if he's a, ever going to be a three point shooter. It seems like he's super comfortable from mid range, but those percentages from three were scary. Um, Franz, I don't ever think he's going to be a volume three point shooter, and I think his best trait is getting to the rim. I think Franz is unbelievable for finishing at the rim. So I'm just a little concerned um, about the team building aspect of them at long term, but at the end of the day, we have them ninth here, guys. Like, this is when your your second-year player is your best player. That's really impressive to bring your team from the team who got the number one overall pick just a two years ago to a ninth seed. So I hate their offseason. I think it's trash, but they're the ninth seed, and that's pretty impressive.
1: If they're the eighth seed, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Paolo and Franz are that good. I think Paolo's that good. We have watched you Paolo, think- as a rookie, single-handedly win basketball games. He's going to be better than he was last year.
0: Do you think they have a chance to be better than Indiana or Miami?
1: I think so, yes. I think they have a chance to be better than Indiana. Just as a result of smothering, smothering defense. And I think there's a really high chance that the three-point shots work out. Not that they're going to be an elite three-point shooting team. But if you've got, you've already got Gary Harris, who shot 43%. They don't have anybody who's a volume shooter. Nobody on this team took over four and a half threes last year. Um, But Franz Wagner, I could see him around 38%. Jet Howard, I said I could see him around 36, 37. Gary Harris is over 40. Wendell Carter's 36, 37. There's an easy lineup where you've got three shooters on the floor, and then you've got Paolo and Anthony Black. And that seems like... Not only a team with good offense, but a team with smothering defense. We haven't really even talked about the size that they have gathered.
0: That's true. I'm I'm bought in on the coach, by the way. Jamal Mosley seems like the right option for them. They bought in and played their asses off for that dude. So I'm cool with him as the head coach. I'm a fan. And you're right. They've accumulated a ton of size. So that will help them defensively. I am gonna hold my breath on them. I think they're still super young too, and I think the Indiana Pacers have vets um, that Orlando just does not have, like Miles Turner and Bruce Brown, and shit like that. So I, I I just lean Indiana's way, but I'm glad you're I'm glad you're holding your ground with Orlando.
1: I'm ready to watch them, man. I'm so excited. Moving on to Team Ten, we've got the Chicago Bulls. I'm kind of not happy with them at ten. I think this is going to be another year where this team just fails to live up to expectations. They were 40 and 42 last year, and they really went on a tear at the end. No, I mean, in no small part to Patrick Beverly being on the team and reminding those guys that basketball's fun, like you're allowed to enjoy it. Yeah. Um, it just seems like a team where there's no life. There's no love for the game. The guys don't improve the way you wanted to. I had so much stock in Patrick Williams, and I am broke at this point, man. That stock is tanked.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm out on that as well. <laughs> um, But I, I think the reason, I, I fought pretty hard for him to be here uh, pre-show. I think one of my reasoning is Zach Levine played 77 games last year. This is a guy that used to have injury concerns, and he had one of his healthiest seasons of his career last year. And during that season, he averaged 25 points on 49% from the floor, 38% from three, and 85% from the free throw line. Hyper efficiency with like amazing jump shooting and getting to the rim. He is one of the hardest players to like stop when he's rolling. We saw him catch fire a few times last year. And not to mention, they still have Alex Caruso, DeMar DeRozan. They still have Nikola Vucevic. You know, I, I think there's enough there, like with A.O. Desunmu and Javon Carter. I think there's enough there where the talent alone of Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan in terms of scoring will push them to this spot.
1: And my argument to that would be they had DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, Vucevic last year. They all played over 75 games. Vooch played 82, Pat Williams played 82, Io played 80, uh, Caruso only missed time because he got that broken wrist, Yeah. and they were still a garbage team that nobody wanted to watch. So they've kept the core together, um, but the core was not winning games or having fun together.
0: But my argument would be is we have them at 10th, and last year <laughs> they finished 10th. Yeah, right. Right, so it's like... You know, I'm not projecting a huge upgrade for them. I'm projecting them to stay in the same exact spot they were last year, but probably be slightly more competitive. Like, I just think Javon Carter, Io Disunmu is an okay backcourt. Okay being the pr- primary word there. With Caruso, they all play defense. Mm-hmm. We've seen when the Bulls have a pesky perimeter defender at point guard that their defense is just sustainable. They were a top five unit last year on that category. I think that can carry you through some regular season games when you're playing the Phoenix Suns in March when they're setting Brad Beal and Devin Booker as an off night. Like, who knows? They might sneak out some wins just because their defense shows up every single night.
1: That's true. Yeah, I think until they're able to revive Lonzo Ball from the grave, this is just going to be a bad team. Um, unfortunately, the all of the fun surrounding this Bulls team was kind of tied to how well he put everything together. Um, yeah. And I will forever be upset about Lonzo Ball not playing anymore. I could talk about that shit for hours. Um, I just I want to see them play better. I just... The energy in Chicago is terrible, has been terrible for years. Patrick Beverly did everything he could to fix that. Um, They just don't
0: have a vibes guy on the team. You need a vibes guy. You need a vibes guy, for sure. You need a vibes guy, Uh, and they don't have that. So another weird season for the Bulls coming up. Let's move on to a team that you fucking hate, (laughs) but I'm pretty optimistic. Again, this is the 11 seed, folks. The Charlotte Hornets. Uh, This is a team I'm bullish on. Um, I their over under, which we'll do at some point, was 31 and a half wins. I just don't see on any planet how they go below that. Um, I think they genuinely have some talent on this roster. LaMelo Ball is 22.6 rebounds, 8 assists, right? That's a decent player right there. Terry Rozier coming off the bench, Gordon Hayward, Brandon Miller, who I, I feel like I'm the spokesperson for all of a sudden because people are so out on him. I still love PJ Washington and Mark Williams and Nick Richardson are a good, Nick Richards, excuse me, are a good, good keyword there. Uh, five pairing, right? You can switch them in and out. Nick Richards is a great offensive rebounder coming off the bench. And we we hate this guy as a podcast. We fucking hate this dude. Fuck Miles Bridges, right? But we have to acknowledge that he will be on the basketball court this upcoming season. And he's a good enough player where he's going to force us to talk about him. So we're going to forget who he is as a person for a second. And we're going to talk about how he is as a player. The last time he played, he averaged 20 points at close to 50% from the floor shooting 80 percent from the free throw line um and shot 33 percent from three but this is one of the most dynamic athletes and lob finishers in the entire league and as a guy who can score 20 points per game for you they're getting that back when they didn't have him all last season um i don't know i just think those are guys that you can trust in an nba game and they have quite a few of them at this point
1: they certainly have players who play basketball on their team um I think the (laughs) LaMelo ball, there's a lot of positive you can say about LaMelo ball, man. There's only two guys in the league that shoot threes at the volume that LaMelo does. And that's Stephen Clay, uh, the premier three-point shooters of our league. LaMelo was taken like almost 13 a game in the games that he was healthy. What games is he healthy in? Not many. Not many at all. Um I think the violent assault charges that Miles Bridges is facing may hinder his basketball play a little bit. Um and you know, we can talk about him being a dog shit human being at another time. We do all the time.
0: We um, do all the time.
1: Terry Rozier had a down year. I think Charlotte is a place where basketball dreams just die. There is no hope in Charlotte. There is no winning basketball. You know, how many good seasons of Charlotte Hornets basketball can you even look at in their history as a team?
0: It's a great point. It really is a great point. And we had this discussion a few days ago on our text thread. I believe that the tide is starting to change. Michael Jordan, I believe, was the worst owner in sports. Even Vivek out in Sacramento finally admitted he was wrong and got the right personnel in place. And now they're cruising, right? Michael Jordan made wrong draft pick after wrong draft pick after wrong draft pick and spent money on the wrong players, gave Gordon Hayward $30 million over five years, $150 million contract for that guy. Just bonehead decision after bonehead decision, quite frankly, right? He's gone now. He is not in the building. And I actually respect Steve Clifford as coach because I think this team's biggest issue is defense and he's not afraid to go to the podium and say LaMelo Ball sucks at defense, he needs to play harder. I think he needs that accountability as a basketball player to really hit his potential. So I I am more excited about this team than I think anyone I know um is. And I I'm again, uh, the Brandon Miller thing is a little shocking to me, honestly. Um how fast people have switched up on him since the draft. It's it's just because Scoot Henderson went above him and he sucked in summer league. That's it. That's why the 20 point per game scorer, 40% three-point shooter, six foot nine wing who can ball handle sucks at basketball because he's had a few bad summer league games and Scoot Henderson went above him. So I think another I, part I, of it, I think another part of it is you look at how many people were good during summer league. How
1: many awesome rookie right. showings did we see during summer league? Was it everybody else practically? Um, we saw it yeah. kind of felt yeah. like it, man. It kind of felt like everybody else was showing up and Brandon Miller was putting up three for tens and getting <laughs> points. Um And I, I, you know, I'm still a believer. I think me and you have disagreed on his ceiling from the jump. Um, I'm not yeah. a believer that he could hit the Paul George level um, because No, I I just don't know that he can hit that level of scoring and playmaking.
0: Um, Yeah, so that's that's my thing is I think he's going to be an awesome scorer playmaker at that position. I don't think he'll ever be the defender Paul George is ever, but I think he's going to be baby Paul George or plus Chris Middleton. That's what I see from
1: him. Okay, yeah, and I think it'll just take a while to get there. Um, I don't know. I mean, we'll see how much they prioritize him in this regular season, but it feels to me that if the goal is to get Brandon Miller, as many touches as possible, this team's not winning basketball games.
0: No, and I don't think it will be. I actually think we're going to see a pretty efficient season from him because you have a guy like Lamello setting him up. Um, and, and just the Ahmed Thompson, Asar Thompson over Brandon Miller conversations. I see, I think that's pretty mature. I agree. The twins looked great, but I think, like, why are we forgetting what this kid just did in college? Yeah, I know. We'll have it because, you know, the twins are two years older than him and he just dominated college basketball and they played in a fugazi league. And I don't know. I love the twins defensive intensity, but why it's, people are so jumping off the ship on Brandon Miller too early. I, I just, I don't fuck with it, but In terms of Charlotte, I think closing notes would be, I think they're going over that 31 and a half, and you think they're going under, correct? I think they're getting pretty close to that 31. Okay.
1: I wouldn't put Moving on to, what is this, number 12? We've got the Brooklyn Nets, and me and you disagree on this a little bit. I still think at best they're a play-in team. Um, I liked the way they were able to win games last year with the squad that they had. I think our disagreements come from the fact that you don't really respect the basketball players playing over there, and you don't respect the offense. And I understand that. I think this is a team that could be a monstrous defense, but who is scoring the ball? Who is putting the ball in the hoop?
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm going to list off some names for our listeners here and for you, Ben, and just give me three guys you're comfortable taking a shot with five seconds left on the shot clock, okay? Ben Simmons. Ben (laughs) Simmons. (laughs) Perfect. <laughs> ben simmons dennis smith jr armani brooks dan witty cam thomas lonnie walker Derek whitehead mikhail bridges royce o'neill jalen wilson cam johnson dfs Baisley, claxton dayron sharp and noah clowney
1: mikhail bridges should be taking every last shot there is right um
0: And from my point of view, it's Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, and nobody else. Um, And when that happens, even though I respect a lot of these guys defensively, when that happens, it's hard for me to see them winning games. Because if Mikael Bridges has an off night, they do not have another guy that can pick up the slack. Even though I love Cam Johnson – He's not a self-creator in that level where he can just give you 30 points on a night. No, when he scores 30 points, it's because he hits seven catch-and-shoot threes. Um, He's not dribbling between the legs and pulling up for mid-range shots or, you know, blowing by defenders and getting to the rim, right? Mikael Bridges is the only guy who can create a shot for himself over and over again, and you can't count on him to be 27 points on great efficiency every single night. So that's where I'm struggling with the Nets, and I I think they're going to struggle more than people think.
1: Yeah, I think it just comes down to, can the role players on this team play well? Spencer Dinwiddie shot 41% in Dallas from three on a lot of attempts, and he gets traded to Brooklyn and he shoots 29%. Um, Cam Thomas is a guy who can get you a bucket. If you want 20 points from somebody, Cam Thomas is a guy you can call up. If you want defense, no. Um, But there are people on this team that could get buckets. I think, I mean, Cam Thomas is the guy. If we're talking about who on this team, outside of the people we've already talked about, can get buckets, it's Cam Thomas. He doesn't get minutes for a reason. He's one of those guys that when you see him play, he scores 25 points and he looks awesome. But when you watch, he doesn't pass the ball once. If they give the ball to him, pushing it up the floor, he is going to take all 24 seconds to do whatever he wants to do. Um, But they have an awesome defense, man. This is a team that could beat teams 85 to 80.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. They're, they have great defensive personnel. Nick Claxton is an all-defense guy. Ben Simmons, who's looking healthy. I sh- Once upon I a time, he played man. great defense. Yeah, he was second place in defensive player of the year. Mikhail Bridges, all-defense level wing. Like, there is some real defensive talent on this team. I, I have no questions about that but I struggle to see how they get over 85 points in a basketball game, though. That's my, that's my issue with them. So, um, so let's move on because we have a team here, Toronto at 13 and I'm starting to feel iffy about this already. Um, I want you to go first.
1: So I, I mean, I, I might agree. I might agree. I think the Toronto Raptors are a team that's just not fun to watch. Um, they're yeah. a team that we've watched for years roll out five, six, nine guys and have the same issues every single year because nobody can shoot and your rim protection is just nothing. Um, they brought in Jakob Purtle and they replaced their point guard with someone who's much worse. Yeah. Um, so where's the three point shooting on the team? Where are the people who are going to generate offense for you? I kind of have the same questions.
0: Okay, so that's a good start. Um, Their backcourt's got to be the worst one in the league. Uh, Dennis Schroeder, Malachi Flynn, and Jeff Downton Jr. Um, Whoa. Uh, But in terms of the rest of the roster, they still have a few guys I respect a lot, right? OG Ananobi, Scarty Barnes, Pascal Siakam, and Yakum Pirtle. Those four guys are above average NBA players, and Pascal Siakam is an all-NBA level player. Yeah. So a lot of teams that finish 13th don't have an all NBA level guy, but this team is so inept when it comes to three point shooting and they lack self-creation more than basically any team in the league. Like Dennis Schroeder's like shifty crafty. He actually had a decent season for the Lakers last year, but that is not a guy you expect to set up, you know, Pascal Siakam for good looks or Scotty Barnes for good looks or even OG Ananobi. He's getting his own thing. Right, And what's plagued the Raptors for years is half-court offense. They've always been good in transition because they have all those six-foot-nine athletes running up and down the court. My concern with them stays the same. Where's the three-point shooting and where's the half-court creation? Um, I'm just not sure they fixed those issues. Um, and I think tempers are starting to flare in Toronto as well. We've seen some really weird reports about Pascal Siakam last year and Scotty Barnes not getting along with Nick Nurse. Um, Nick Nurse, at his exit interview as the Toronto Raptors head coach, said good luck to the next guy. That is... That's really weird to see from a head coach. And there must have been real, really strange locker room vibes. Fred Van Fleet, who is known as a leader, also said some interesting things about the Toronto locker room, like they just don't care. So... I uh, even though the talent's there, I'm comfortable. I think I just talked myself into them being 13th.
1: Yeah, so the thing that it sounds like, and as someone, I don't know anything, right? I don't talk to NBA players. I just listen to rumors. It sounds like people do not like Scotty Barnes. I think that's what it comes down to. People, like, because he's the guy that has caused all this change. Nick Nurse very clearly had issues with Scotty Barnes. They beefed kind of often. him. Um, it feels like if they're looking to point fingers at you know, we've got a guy who everybody expects a lot out of, and he's just not trying hard enough. It's pretty obvious who they're talking about. Um, their three best players, I'd say, are Pascal, OG, and Scotty. And yeah. they all effectively play the same position. I um, mean, yeah. they all have the same issues. OG's a much better shooter. He's a much better uh, creator. But he doesn't want to be on the team, and they don't want him on the team. Yeah. Um So this is a team with no identity, with no idea on how they're going to win games, but a bigger collection of talent than a lot of other teams who would find themselves at the 13th seed.
0: This is the year I, I know I'm the one who's preaching enough of player movement and like stop the trade <laughs> shit. I know I'm the guy saying this, but I just want to put a feeler out there for people because expect some chatter uh, about these raptors guys again this year right especially if the year starts off to a slower pace than they want out there in toronto um we've seen Usai Majiri really try to buck the idea of tanking he's trying to keep the team afloat he wants to give toronto a product they can respect but we're reaching a point here where the returns aren't adding up um and at some point, he's just going to have to look at the cost and realize, hey, he's kind of like losing profit here by keeping these guys. So um, Toronto fans maybe expect a, a turbulent year. Uh, let's move on to the Washington Wizards, who shipped Bradley Beal. They shipped Chris Paul to the Warriors for Jordan Poole. They have Jordan Poole, Kyle Kuzma, Tyus Jones, Bilal Kulavali. Uh, Kulavali, yeah. there we go. Um, they're a weird team, man. They're a weird team. Uh, Not expecting a ton of things from them. They have a few respectable players. I do think they're going to be a contenders-like grab-and-go. I think contenders are going to come to the Wizards and say, I'll give you a first-round pick unprotected for Tyus Jones. Or I'll give you two first-round picks for Tyus Jones and Daniel Gafford to come to our team right now. Mm -hmm. Um, They have some guys that are respectable. Kyle Kuzma being one of them, obviously inked a new contract this offseason. Uh, I kind of just view them as a contender shopping center. Uh, not much of an actual basketball team.
1: Yeah, I expect this team, I don't know if this is a prop somewhere that you can bet on, but if you can bet on the least assists a game by any team in the league, you bet on the Washington Wizards. Jordan Poole <laughs> is not passing that rock to anybody. He has taken 25 shots a game at least. Um, who knows if it'll be efficient? It's Jordan Poole. But him and Kuzma are going to be the guys taking shots They just drafted Koulibaly with a lottery pick. And I don't think anyone on the team wants to pass him that ball.
0: I know. And I'm a Koulibaly fan as well. Um, I kind of fought for him a little bit harder during our kind of draft grades. Um, He's shown flashes in preseason. I'm really excited about from what I've seen from him as just a defensive wing with game sense. But yeah, on a team that has a bunch of ball hogs and guys trying to get new contracts or prove they're worth their contracts. Right. Yeah. if you remember, a couple years ago, they drafted a really good defensive
1: wing with great defensive IQ, who's great at moving the ball, and nobody gives a shit about Danny Avdia.
0: Yeah. Nobody talks yep. about
1: him. He's great at defense. He's still awesome yep. at defense. Nobody cares. Right. He worries me. Yeah. Koulibaly worries me, and it's not even about him. man. It's
0: just about the team. And that's fair. That's fair. But what I would make the same argument for the Wizards that I made for the Hornets. They have finally brought in a GM that knows what the fuck he's doing and Michael Winger, right? This guy got real value out of Bradley Beal when he had a trade clause, right? He he actually managed to get a ton of pick swaps and a ton, ton of second round picks and all the shit from the Suns um, when he probably didn't need to. And he got Jordan Poole, who's a young player from Golden State for Chris Paul, who's on his last leg, right? So he has figured out a way to bring washington to a point where hey we can see what their plan is and they actually have direction yep but it doesn't mean they're going to be good and it doesn't mean that the basketball culture that's there right now with jordan Poole as your starting point like starting shooting art is going to be fun to play with so no
1: um yeah the, the rebuild has to start somewhere and the start of a rebuild is admitting we need to start over we need to get rid of these guys and start over and the wizards were in no man's land for years having no idea what direction they wanted to move in. I like that they've made a decision. I like the way they that they've made the decision. Can you talk me down from the ledge of Jordan Poole? Can you tell me that he's going to be a good basketball player that, this year, that he's going to be a really good scorer? Is there anything you're excited about with Jordan Poole as the guy on this team?
0: Um, kind of, no. Uh, I think it's gotten to the point where even if he does perform, On the Washington Wizards, he's doing it on a team that has no chance of winning. Uh, And then he becomes good stats, bad team guy. Hmm. I don't think successful teams would want to trade, one, for that contract, and two, for the level of defense and turnovers he has as a player. Um, So even if he averages 26 points per game all of a sudden, I won't take too much stock in that, which is unfortunate, but we saw last year how unbelievably bad of a locker room presence he became for a championship level team and he was just unplayable in the playoffs he was fucking horrible so his the way we view him has shifted drastically in the last year and a half he was so bad
1: as a teammate that he was assaulted on camera and everyone blamed him for it on his exit everybody had something bad to say about everybody Andre Godaleg went on to a podcast to talk shit about him not playing defense for no reason. Unwarranted. Um, This is not a well-liked man, but this is his chance to prove himself. This is his chance to say, this is what I think I am. I think I'm a star. I think I deserve to take these shots. And this is his stage to prove whether or
0: not he can do it. Yeah, and and to really hammer home that point, I think Steph Curry's one of the greatest leaders we've ever had in basketball. One of the greatest teammates we've ever had in basketball. Steph Curry got ejected from a game last year for throwing his mouth guard because the shot Jordan Poole was so atrocious. The shot Jordan Poole took was so atrocious, it frustrated Curry to the point where he threw his mouth guard into the stands and got ejected for the first time in his career. I I want you to think about what level of basketball decisions you have to be making to get Steph Curry that upset. So I I think the Warriors are pretty happy to get rid of that contract, to get rid of that human being. I I don't think he's a bad guy. I just don't think they loved him at all there. I think they all fucking hated him. I think he was too immature to be on a team with those aspirations. Um, But yeah, new start for him. Hopefully he can turn things around, and if he starts playing defense, maybe I'll, I'll have a little bit of a different point of view on him. But, um,
1: maybe. yeah, let's move on. Let's move oh, on go. to the most yeah. garbage team in the NBA in this upcoming season, the Detroit Pistons. They have five guys on this team who have played more than three seasons in the NBA. None of them are good. Um, Bogdan Bogdanovich, pro- or Boyan Bogdanovich, probably the best one on the team. Um. What positive things can you say about the Detroit Pistons for me?
0: Cade Cunningham is a star. Mm -hmm. That's where I'll start. Cade Cunningham is a star. Um, It was really frustrating for me last year uh, watching Pistons games. And then when he got hurt, I didn't watch a single other one. I just refused it. Um, I love Cade Cunningham. I love the way he plays basketball. He does all the little things right. I wrote an article for us about it. Um, He's comfortable boxing out. He's comfortable switching on to bigger players. He's comfortable switching on to smaller players. He sits in the corner and catch and shoot threes. He runs pick and roll. He plays off ball, on ball. He is one of the most complete players in the NBA. And there's no ego there. He just wants to win basketball games. And I think in a star that is wildly valuable i've compared him to steph curry as a leader and a teammate and i think he has the clutch gene of you know a damian lillard obviously this is insanely high praise for a guy who's played 76 games but i really do believe in him to be an all-star caliber player and potentially a top 12 guy in the league at some point in time of his career If you're putting stats on a
1: page, man, if you're putting stats down on a paper, if you're writing down who Cade Cunningham is as a basketball player, there's no reason why he can't be a franchise leader and the archetype of one of the best
0: offenses. Yes. Yes, agreed. Me and you have spoke about this. Everything we've seen intangibles-wise and skill set wise when everything's going right, you're like, that guy's a bona fide star. Unfortunately, the efficiency for him has completely floated in and out. Now, we've only seen incredibly positive things from him this summer. He was at FIBA camp, and he was roasting our FIBA team. That is a really good sign for a guy who chose not to go play for them so he could practice with the Pistons and get ready for the NBA season. If you're a Detroit fan, that is music to your ears. Now, what I'm about to say is going to really disappoint you. I hate everyone on your team, except for Asar Thompson, basically, and Jalen Durant. Those two guys are great. Everyone else is ass. And that includes Jaden Ivey. I'm totally... Like, I, I, he needs to show me something that I can be like, all right, yeah, that's an NBA player. The one fucking skill set he had that made people fall in love with him as a draft prospect was how athletic and dynamic he was around the rim. Well, guess what? He was one of the worst rim finishers in the entire NBA last year. I Like... If that's why you draft him and he completely sucks at what you drafted him for, like that's that's an issue. Um, And you were higher on him at the end of the season with his assists and passing and playmaking. I wasn't watching because I didn't care because I didn't believe. I still don't believe I'm going to need to see it with my own eyes because I will be watching a ton of Pistons games this year for Cade Cunningham. So he has an opportunity to prove me wrong. But yeah, I'm pretty down on this team in its entirety. I think
1: the time is right now to buy a little bit of Jade 90 stock. I think Uh, it's pretty low. I think people are not that high on him as a player. I think if there's any time... I think if there's any time to go in on him as a player, it is right now. Um, He is really, really explosive, man. And the thing about short guards is they all start out trash right? You're a giant Darius Garland fan. There was a point at the end of his rookie year where the advanced stats that came out said, this is one of the worst players that you could have on a basketball team. And look at Darius Garland now. Um, This is what happens when you're a short guard who struggles a little bit to find your footing. You're not a great defender. So, you know, there's no defensive numbers there that can paint you as a positive. It's really just how effective can you score? And you know, you know, we see issues. I'm not going to tell you Jaden Ivey's going to be a star. I'm telling
0: you, it's yeah. way
1: early to make any kind of predictive statement on who he is.
0: I think I saw things in the ten games I've watched of him that really bothered me. Um, he he's just not enough. He's an okay three point shooter. Thirty four percent As a rookie. That's totally acceptable. It's the forty-one percent from the floor. That's the scary thing for me. And you're and you're talking about short guards. I don't think we can put him in that conversation. He's six foot four and he has a forty-inch vertical. Like I think I don't think he belongs in that conversation. I I think he belongs in the athletic guard conversation. And it, it just it just freaks me out a little bit. So I mean, if you're a Pistons fan, you have a couple things going for you. Asar Thompson looked fucking awesome in summer league and looked great in preseason. He locked up Devin Booker a few times and you can see him already guarding number one options on championship level teams at bare minimum. He's an awesome wing defender. That's the minimum, but we know he has playmaking chops and hopefully at some point he can figure out a jump shot, right? Jalen Duran going to be an awesome rotational big. I don't know if I ever see all-star for him, but he's going to be a valuable player for sure. Um, Kate Cunningham star. And then the rest literally don't give a fuck about.
1: And you're not wrong. You're not wrong for feeling that. way. This is a lot of not very good talent that has a chance to prove themselves. That's kind of what the Pistons have done, right? They picked up Marvin Bagley. They picked up James Wiseman. They got Killian Hayes. They got, you know, how many players <laughs> are in prove it years for them right now? Yeah. Um, this isn't a team that expects to win. This isn't a team that really cares about where they end up at the regular season. I think Cade Cunningham's going to come in at the beginning of the season and talk about how they want to be a play-in team, but I think everybody says that. They're going to be garbage, and really the only things to watch here are Cade Cunningham, Asar Thompson, and Jaden Ivey. We know who Jalen Dern is. If you watch him, you already know what to expect. Jaden Ivey is the guy I'm going to be keeping my eye on because I just don't know what we're going to see from him. I expect great things from Cade. I expect great things from Asar. I just don't know about the rest.
0: Yeah, same. And I, I just want to touch on the process of this team as well, like building this team. I think Troy Weaver. I gave him a lot of credit um, at first when he was first put in charge. I I've I kind of back off my statements. Uh, I I just think the process of building this team has been really weird. You draft Jalen Duran, he shows flashes of greatness. And then you bring in James Wiseman, um, and you bring in Marvin Bagley and pay Marvin Bagley handsomely as well. Um, I I don't know. You draft Tillian Hayes, uh, Cade Cunningham, and Jaden Ivey in succession of each other, all guards. That's a little weird. It just feels like he's grasping at straws for anything to hit. Um, that's not a great spot to be in, uh, especially where in that Killian Hayes draft, you know, there's a few players that go after him that end up being incredibly better than him. Um, you know, it looks like Cade Cunningham's probably an OK pick because of how I think of him. Right. If he's an all NBA guy, you're you check that hits the mark. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Little uh, pessimistic. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They're a team with not a lot of hope. Cade Cunningham's going to be awesome and they're going to lose a lot of games or Cade Cunningham's going to get hurt and they're going to lose a lot of games. Um, there's not a lot of reason to be excited about Detroit basketball. It's the sort of thing where maybe three years down the line, we're really going to start this to see this team put itself together, but they're not there. yet.
0: Yeah, no, know. And I think another part of this is they got the fifth overall pick in this year's draft. Right. And that was a, Devastating blow to a team that was the worst team in the league record-wise. Yeah. Um, if they draft Brandon Miller, I'm much more excited about this season. If they draft Scoot Henderson, I'm much more excited about this season. And obviously, if they had Wembenyama paired with Cade Cunningham, I'd be predicting finals appearances in five years, right? Like that's that's where I would be at. But because they have Asar, who has real questions um, you know, as a jump shooter and as an offensive player in general, you know, it kind of does set the timetable back again for them. It feels like they're still in the absolute bottom phase of rebuilding.
1: I agree. I agree. Yeah, this is gonna be a trash team. It's just, there are a lot of teams worth watching in the NBA right now, and the Detroit Pistons just are
0: not really one of them. Hmm. But I think that wraps up the Eastern Conference. I'll go down the list for you guys once again, just so you have an idea of what we've predicted. We have Milwaukee number one, Boston number two, Cleveland number three, Philly number four, the Knicks number five, Atlanta number six, Miami number seven, Indiana number eight. That rounds off the playoff picture. And then to the teams that just missed it, Orlando. At number nine, Chicago, number 10, Charlotte, 11, Brooklyn, 12, Toronto, 13, Washington, 14, and Detroit, dead last, at 15th. Ben, do you have anything to say that you missed uh, during this breakdown before we get on out of here, or do you think we're all set?
1: I'm glad to be back, man. Keep tuning in for new podcast episodes. We're going to be coming out with them, hopefully at least once a week, if not twice a week. Uh, We've got the Western Conference one that'll be coming out soon, so keep in tune for that.
0: Thank you very much, guys. Peace. Peace.